Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. It's your boy Fadi. It's going on, guys. So this past week, we had another J6 hearing. We were supposed to have two. We only ended up having one, and they postponed the next one to this upcoming Thursday. But uh, it was explosive. We learned about the connection to the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And, you know, in many ways, it was a very, very uh, enlightening and scary session. We learned that, you know, Liz Cheney gave us a great cliffhanger talking about how Trump is intimidating witnesses. But what was your big takeaway from this uh, past week's hearing? Um, well, it's interesting because the, the I think the biggest kind of bombshelly day or bombshelly hearing that they've had has been uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. But there was a lot of people who felt this was simply because who the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys are and how they functioned on January 6th. It was pretty organized. Uh, I, I mentioned to you on Twitter the day of, they linked basically Bannon to the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And then in, in turn, they linked Bannon to Trump. That Bannon talked to Trump uh, right before January 6th and then right after January 6th. And we know that Bannon was obviously uh, in contact with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Now, uh, that isn't a direct link to Trump, right? You, you still have hypothetical conversations. Like to us, it's pretty clear what happened here. You know what I mean? But I don't know if that's going to matter uh, when it comes to the courts or, or anything legality wise. But I thought it was pretty significant that one, they, they linked Bannon to the, to these uh, extremist groups. And then obviously Bannon was linked to Trump and she ended with a warning, right? Uh, a lot of people thought she shouldn't have warned people. A lot of people thought that person who they called, which might have been, they're, they're trying to figure out who it is, but a lot of people thought they should have picked up the phone and recorded it just to see just to see what would happen. But um, why do you think, let me push it back on you, why do you think Liz Cheney warned people, or do you think they have what they need and, and, and this was just, a, hey, we're coming? It's all about storytelling, right? It's all about storytelling. It's all about, I mean, it's all like about cliffhangers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and we talked about tent poles. Um, we talked about, you know, that we're going to be watching, um, every, every time that every time there's a hearing, they put something out there that makes you say, oh, snap, I'm going to tune in for the next one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, for me, uh, you know, we finally heard from Pat Cipollini and I thought that was very good. Um, I thought that the whole story of that meeting when you know uh, mm -hmm. all the wackos were in were in the office and they were freaking out, I thought that was amazing. But it, but an amazing note, it was also scary. I mean, when you think about just how how unhinged Trump is and was, uh, and he had all these loons in there, and essentially, I think it was his last play. And you know, in many ways, as we get to. I don't think we could call it the last hearing as we get to the next hearing, which is definitely going to be consequential because you're putting it on a prime time. But, <clears throat> but I don't think we end there. I think it's, I think the series ends, but there's going to be special episodes going forward. Right. Um, um, I think what, I, I think what they will be doing is that they will actually finally deliver Trump. They will deliver this all and put it all on him and lay it on his lap. And, you know, they were building towards something, you know, and I think someone said that like every hearing up until now was kind of like putting in a, a, a brick or, or, or some type of foundation 
and this is a, a tie together or you know a it, you know now you get there uh, i'm not sure what the proper term is in filmmaking but this is where we really see the full plot or the plot unfold i mean what, how would you describe that in, in filmmaking terms um this is the the turn of the third act as as we would call it basically they set up everything and now we're ramping down and here's where it gets exciting here's where plots kind of finish the, this upcoming hearing, I, I definitely agree with you. I do not think it'll be the last hearing by any means, but I think it's in prime time because they're going to focus on, if anybody doesn't know, they're going to focus on the three hours during the insurrection, what Trump was doing. They're going to have timestamps for everything. They're going to see that he refused to bring in the National Guard. He refused to say anything. And they hinted at it at this hearing, John, they were saying that he didn't want to do anything. He didn't tell them to back off. And then they were, Oath Keepers were saying on testimony that, oh, as soon as Trump put out the tweet, we left. So they're trying to make it seem like Trump was, they were listening to Trump. So now, now they're trying to put a culpability on Trump, which I think they'll be successful at. I also think there's going to be, I, I might go on record and make a, a baby prediction. This might be the biggest bombshell hearing because- we're going to have uh, testimony that he didn't want to do anything, that he wanted Pence to get hurt, that um, – John, by the way, they had a draft of a tweet. That scared me. That's scared the living crap out of me because it wasn't a tweet that was set. It was a tweet that was drafted. It was they never set. So that scared me. They, they, <laughs> so we're going to have – Everyone remembers the famous Trump video where he put out uh, after basically it was over saying, we love you, go home, you're patriots. But people don't know, and it'll be proven here, there was drafts of that video where it was much, much worse. And he was going at people and going at Pence and saying, this is what you get. So we're going to see drafts of that speech that um, Stephen Miller uh, was working on. So I'm really excited for the next hearing. I think it'll be probably the most kind of blockbustery so far. Let me tell you something. So my uncles are coming to town. The whole extended family is heading up to the Wisconsin Dales for a family reunion. We're scheduled to leave on Thursday. And normally I would drive my parents up, but my uncles are going to, go in because I've got stuff to do. I can't necessarily go up immediately. Um, so I was going to go up on Friday. And when my mom found out that I was leaving on Friday as opposed to Thursday, you know what she said to me? She's like, I'm going to go with you because I don't want to watch. She's I want to watch the hearing. And she doesn't want to be at the family reunion and, and getting distracted. So my mm -hmm. mom, who is the, the matriarch of the family, who's 83 years old, who everyone is waiting on and, you know, and, you know, looking forward to seeing, she is delaying her arrival at the family reunion because she wants to watch the, 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 the hearing in the privacy and comfort of her own home, not be distracted, not be a room full of people and digest it. And then, then she will go and drive in with me on Friday morning. So I thought that was, she, you know, she and I were talking about it today. I told her, well, I'm not going up till Friday. It's just like, well, I guess I'll ride with you then. So, yeah. um, but, you know, I think about it. I think as we think about the future of the hearings and what they did, I think what we, this is just my speculation. I think what we're actually seeing is this. They have a, their investigation, they have a story arc, and they're going to tell that story. 
And right now, all the hearings have been building blocks or part of that, that story arc, so to speak. And so what they're doing is they're telling that story and they knew exactly when they first started this hearing where they want to land. Now, they knew there'd probably be some more information that would come out of it, and they knew that they'd be able to, but they probably knew where they were going to finish. They probably had enough to finish. And so my belief is that this is they'll be able to tell a story arc, and the story that they need to tell, if we don't know anything else, the story that they need the American public to know will be told by Thursday. And I think anything else that comes up after that that will be just gravy. But I bet you that they'll have enough stuff to bury him and to bury the people that they're trying to bury by Thursday. And that doesn't mean the story ends. That just means that everything else will probably be freestanding. You know what I'm saying? Where I think all of the different hearings need one another to really be impactful. I bet you any hearings after that will be standalone hearings that don't, that don't require anything to happen before them or after them. And, and well, and let's be honest, if they tell the story by Thursday, they don't really, you know, everything else is just building on that. Does that make sense to, to a certain extent about? Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. I think it's like an artist releasing an album and then maybe the deluxe album comes a couple of weeks later with a couple of extra songs on it. But for the most part, the gist of it's there. I, I totally agree with that. I, I don't think there will be. Uh, one or two more. I think there's going to be a few more, actually. I, I really think there's going to be, uh, as stuff comes up, remember the Jeannie Thomas stuff, um, all that stuff is kind of up in the air now. And I think uh, some of that will get played out publicly. I will say what's interesting about this upcoming hearing is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the documentary team that was following Trump, which initially delayed the hearings because they had new evidence and stuff like that, they were there on January 6th with Trump. Am I, am I mistaken there? Yeah, they are. Right. So, um, either they were there on the sixth with Trump or immediately after. And so I actually think we'll maybe get a few of our first kind of viewings of that. I'm interested to see what comes out of that documentary. I think that's supposed to come out soon enough as is, but, uh, if the January 6th commission can kind of release stuff, uh, I think that benefits all of us. John, let me, uh, I want to talk about your mom for a second. Because I had this, I had this feeling during this past hearing. We've always talked about um, how this is a million times worse than Watergate. Um, how we're living in really the probably the greatest scandal in American politics history that a sitting president would basically send a mob to upthrow his own government, and try to kill his own vice president. Did are you able? We've talked about like Secret Service before and how we're political nerds and we love how the process. We love how the ambulance rides in the back of the the, the caravan and and we 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 are fans of that stuff. Are you able to look back? I know we're still in the moment. We witnessed it. We're kind of witnesses to January sixth. Are you able to sit back and be like, I cannot believe that I'm watching this right now and how historic it is? Have you had that kind of feeling at all? No, um, and I'll tell you what, where I've been more so, and this goes back to the first two impeachments. Um, and it's both, it, it is both going to be satisfying, but scary. I think that what we learn, what we need to learn, um, to really take Trump out, to really blow him away, is we're going to have to realize how messed up this country is. 
um, how close to being non-existent uh, as a as a functioning democracy we are right now. And I think one of the reasons why, and I think this is what they almost have to do on Thursday. And again, this goes back to just when Trump got elected. And you and I both know, um, maybe we overstated early on Russia's involvement, but it's completely understated. You and I both know there's a lot more uh, probably truth to the Steele dossier than people want to go ahead and, and acknowledge. And, you know, there's a lot there. But I think I say it all to say, I'm not in the, I can't believe this is all going on. I'm in more so the, I can't believe that people, more people are not just horrified by where we really truly are. You know, there's people who have talked about we're headed towards civil war. There's other people who said we're already in that civil war. It's not going to look like a previous civil war. I don't think people really appreciate or understand how, much in dire straits our country is. That's why we believe the stakes of the 2022 primary elections are huge. That's why we're in a, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's make or break. And while I know there's a lot of things that people are unhappy about on, on our side, on the left, um, we have every reason uh, to go out and vote. And that's why I have little tolerance. And I have a peer group on social media that has little tolerance for people who are almost engaging in uh, voter suppression on the left, right? Uh, because I think the stakes are so high. Um, I'm not sure if you post if you saw what I posted the other day, but Malcolm Nance, you know, uh, was talking about it. I recorded audio of him on the Stephanie Miller show, but he was talking about how close to things going bad. So um, I don't think I'm in a. I can't believe it. I'm more in a. I'm just really disappointed in the American people and how apathetic the larger group is. And while a lot of us will be really, truly pissed off if he doesn't get held accountable and, you know, I'm going to be also more upset by the people who wouldn't care if he doesn't get rung up. And more importantly, maybe even the people who feel that we shouldn't be going after him. That, that concerns me more than in, in many ways. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with your sentiments 100%. I was coming at it from an angle of just political nerdness, just this idea that we're watching a historic hearing. Like, for instance, I'll give you an analogy. We always go to sports. 2016, Cavaliers versus Warriors, Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I'm not a, necessarily have stakes in either of those teams. I was hoping for a good game. It came down to the fourth quarter. I was excited as a basketball fan to watch it. Now, flash forward a little bit, 2016 Cubs, Game 7 World Series versus the Indians. It goes into extra innings. The whole country's watching. But I wasn't able to enjoy it as much because I was rooting for the Cubs and it wasn't looking great there for a second. So that's what I'm kind of – the angle I'm looking at is because we kind of have stakes – and the country is almost teetering on what happens here in a way. Um, I, I don't want to lose the fact that, like your mom said, like this is like something I want to witness and I want to be alive for and I want to focus on. There's nothing else is important. Uh, I just found it fascinating that uh, I had a moment of objectivity where I was able to uh, be outside of my body and realize I can't believe that this is happening and I'm watching it. Well, now this will sound interesting, and, and I think your analogy about the Cubs probably makes a lot more sense from the standpoint of you were so invested that you couldn't really enjoy it. Um, 
I also wonder, let's just say whether it works out or it doesn't work out our way. And I'm talking about, when I say it, I'm talking about a lot more than just the hearings. I'm talking about just society right now. I think when we're divorced from the moment, when there's been, when he's completely held accountable and we start growing and rebuilding from that. And don't forget, if he's held accountable, there may be violence. There may be things that, you know, we don't want to see. But once this chapter is behind us, provided you and I are still alive, because this chapter could be a very long chapter. But once this chapter is behind us, um, I would be really fascinated to know what what I will look, how I would look at it and how others will look at it in the rearview mirror. That might be, you know, and, and is it that way for you with when the Cubs won it, that it's now that you look at the Cubs uh, World Series in the rearview mirror, is that, I mean, I mean, is, is, is it different now? Can you appreciate it more? Um, you know, and will we feel the same way about the whole process? How will we feel when this whole five, six years, it'll probably be 10 years when it's done. How will we feel like when, it, what will we feel like when it's in a rearview mirror? Well, you're, the analogy sticks perfectly because how I would feel on it depends on the outcome. The Cubs won. And so I can look back fondly because it was worth it because we ended up on top. And I'm able to remember those times, even though they're stressful and we're all rooting for them, they won. And so it was worth it. I don't know how I would feel if we lost that game seven. You know, we're, we were known as the lovable losers for 110 years. I can't, you know what I mean? So in this case, I feel the same way. If we're able to vote in 2022, 2024, kind of end this Trump era and then start dealing with the next generation of Trumpism and, and, and DeSantis and all those people, which I think is a different challenge. Um, if we come up on the, on the upper end of that, then I think we could look back and be like, uh, I asked you this question when the first January 6th happened or the first January 6th or January 6th happened. I asked you, did it work because they failed or did it fail because they got so close? And it's kind of a situation of both. We were able to look back and think, man, our institutions held up and we still have a democracy and et cetera, et cetera. But they came so close that it's, it's scary. So I, I guess the answer would depend on how it ends up. If we could look back in six years and realize we got tested and we passed the test, then I think it's worth it. But other than that, we might be in a different situation. Well, I think here's the one thing that I is very fascinating, and I, and I don't need 10 years to look back on this, is you said our institutions held up. I think the most discouraging or upsetting thing right now is maybe our institutions held up, but I'm surprised at how much they damaged, were damaged. I'm surprised at how damaged they were, how close we came. I thought there would be better firewalls. If ultimately all the institutions hold up, there should there should have been things before them, you know, that firewalls or what have you, that, yeah, the core is here, but it should have been stopped here as opposed to being stopped here, right? So I'm I'm horrified right now by, one, did they hold up? But two, even if they did held up, how close they came to not holding up. That is something I don't have to wait for. I'm, I am really upset about that. Well, yeah, and I didn't put this on prep because I don't know what the story is just yet. But uh, even just this week with the Secret Service stuff where they were deleting hundreds of thousands of texts from January 5th to January 6th. We know Mike Pence 
did not trust the Secret Service agents uh, that day. Uh, we know that they're very loyal to Trump. We know that when Biden came in, he was very wary and he had to go back and call his old Secret Service people who were retired when they were on uh, his detail. Just to think of the history of the Secret Service and JFK and Ronald Reagan when he got shot in, I think, 1980 and all these different things. And think of the role of the Secret Service, how it just has this one function to protect the presidency and how we, I no longer have faith in it as an institution. I think you're absolutely right. You're you're 100% on the mark there. Well, but I think the I think the other thing, too, that is upsetting about the way our country was constructed and our institutions is while we do have the rule of law, I think the thing that really is hard to swallow for me is how much of our ability to survive, our ability to function as a country uh, is to rely on integrity, meaning that we have rules, we have laws, and if you think about Nixon, there were people around Nixon in and of his party who were willing to sacrifice him for the for the country. Um, on a lesser scale, when we saw Al Franken was having issues, there were people within his own party who were willing to sacrifice him for the better good of the, both the country and the party. And when it comes to Andrew Cuomo, there you know when you had a failed man, they were not empowered. Uh, the, the people around him said he's got to go. Um, with Trump, the problem is, is that the only thing saving us, if it's even saving us, is an opposition party and some semblance of law, right? So I do think that in many ways, um, I've always never trusted the goodness of man. I've always never trusted, in, you know, people who are allegedly of character and values. And I think maybe you and I might have a shared experience as people of color in this country. Um, you know, I, I, you come from a, a, a line of folks who have been discriminated against merely because of where you're from. And I come from a line of people who are actually held as slaves in this country. And so I've never, you know, it, and I've never really seen the goodness in some of the people who are many of our people look up to, right? And um, so I think the thing that really has upset me, and it shouldn't really upset me, it should upset other people, and it should really upset Republicans, is um, that whole, all the, the values that we talk about, all the morals we talk about, they just don't exist, at least on, on the other side, if that makes, you know, that's that's where I'm at on that. Yeah, no, you make perfect sense. Even, John, even the Supreme Court, is an institution that is actively working to strip rights away from Americans. So I think there is a lot of a loss. It's a lot of questioning of where these institutions were built in. And that's where CRT comes from and all this stuff, right? Is this idea that uh, it, it wasn't necessarily built for people like us. Um, uh, it wasn't really built for other than kind of straight white males in theory. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to fight against. I think you're absolutely right there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think, I think you br you bring up like Franken and Cuomo and Anthony Weiner and all this situation. I think what the Republicans see is uh, changing electorate, right? They see that they don't have the numbers anymore, right? They haven't won 
I think out of the last 22 years, they won the popular vote one time. And I think that was 04, right? So they see that they don't have the numbers anymore. And so Trump is, you know, you talked about Malcolm Nance. He uses this word a lot uh, domestically. He doesn't use it. He uses it internationally, but domestically uses the word insurgency. Just this idea that they see one last power grab. The right sees one last power grab. Uh, otherwise, they might not win uh, more elections. Graham, Lindsey Graham said, if Democrats win the Senate, this is where the Georgia runoffs, they're going to make D.C. and Puerto Rico state. They're going to uh, pass the voter rights laws and we're never going to win another election again. I think they know that their end is coming. That's what I truly believe. And this is them going full throttle on uh, on a last power grab. That's what we're up against. I don't know how this is going to look over the next four to six years. Um, but it gives me optimism to know that we can stop the insurgency and get back on track. But I also know that um, we went in Iraq and lost and we went to Vietnam and lost. And there's a lot of times where the insurgency wins. So uh, it's scary. It's, it's a pivotal point in our country. Right. But, and, but, and when we talk about the lack of integrity and we just talked about Al Franken and, and, and um, Andrew Cuomo, but do you realize, and this is where, Remember, I've always said that some of the values that we adhere to, some of the reasons why we are Democrats, why we are liberal, is because of our value set, right? And it is our value set that makes it worth it, but it is also our value set that makes us vulnerable. If Matt Gates, given all that we know about him, all that we think will happen to him, would Matt Gates still be a member of the Democratic caucus? When, 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 when you look at all that, and, and the thing is not, we, we need to, we need to leverage that in twofold. One, do we need to really just say, this is, this is a thing of character. You know, if, if Matt Gates was a Democrat and he was still here, the Republicans would have destroyed the Democrats over this before there's any charges, before anything else. And Matt Gates is still allowed to be a member of Congress, and there's no leadership. How, we got to make them pay a price for it. Jim Jordan and all the stuff in Ohio and the Ohio State wrestling team. There's no way that if Jim Jordan was a Democrat, one, the right would not let us do it, but we would also say to ourselves, now here's the thing. I like that about us. But is that also part of the things that makes it being a Democrat difficult because we are willing to do the right thing when it needs to be done? Well, yeah, I think we put country uh, above, uh, uh, we put country first a majority of the times. Is there Democrats who don't? Absolutely. Absolutely. They don't. Right. But well, is, there, is it even the, country? Is it values? Right. Is it, is it really, because maybe if we're putting country first, we say, no, Al Franken's going to help us save this country. So we're putting country first. Is it, Country, or is it just even values more so than? Well, I think it's a. I think it's what we per, perceive to be the values of the country, which is supposed to be doing the right thing, and having high morals and high principles. And here's what here's what's interesting about all those situations, John, about Matt Gates and and right, like it's not just Cuomo. It's Cuomo, Franken, Elliot Spitzer, Anthony Weiner across the board, right? A lot of them resigned on their own without having Democrats having to turn on them, right? Now Schumer. And Biden publicly said Cuomo should resign, right? And that's pressure. But it, it, it didn't take us impeaching them. It didn't take us 
um, going after them or AG going after people. It really just was them saying, I'm not right for this position. I messed up. I'm going to resign. I'm going to walk away. And the GOP will never turn on themselves and they'll never resign. They'll never go out in a fashion that is like that. Right. And, and that's, that's just how it is. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to fix it. Republicans just don't care. They want power. That's all they care about. And I think they have a lower standard that they set for themselves. Um, Think about it, John, like not just Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, like MCG is a QAnon conspiracy theories. Lauren Boebert is, uh, not the brightest bulb in the world, right? These people are just not their best. As Hillary said it, they're deplorable. So and the, these are the people who are Republican stars. They're not fringe uh, candidates. They're the stars of the Republican Party. Right. And it's, it, it, it's you know, the double standard. Now, speaking of double standards, one of the things that, that broke this week, uh, this past week, um, is, I don't know about you, but I think this whole Ivana Trump death is skeptical. Now, I want to say two things. We got to <laughs> be very responsible, but I'm not sure if you what, saw what I tweeted right before this, before we started recording, but here's the thing. Yeah. If Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, AOC, um, had to testify this week, and a family member of theirs died of some type of blunt force trauma or whatever it was falling down the stairs. Um, do you think without any evidence that there would be grand jury investigations and calls? And I mean, we're, this is the difference between us and them. Do do you, or do you not agree that if the shoe were on the other foot and, and somebody in Hillary's family died, not from a heart attack, but from falling down the stairs the day before Hillary uh, was set to uh, was was set to testify for something she didn't have to testify for, do you think that we just be like, oh well, that's tragic, or do you think that that the right and the press would be up in their butts right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously that's very very true, John. But I think you're you're giving them too much credit. It, it wouldn't just be a fall down the stairs. It would be any sort of situation, heart attack get hit by a bus, a plane crashing, they would think it was the Clintons. John, I know you know this. There is full-length doc- documentaries about all the quote-unquote bodies that the Clintons have left in their wake. We know this, right? Um, and so it is it – I don't believe that there's any foul play here by any stretch of the imagination with her. Um, but I do agree that the, the double standard is there 100%. I also think that them use. I, I'm surprised that um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, New York gave them like I don't know how long they gave them. They gave them a reprieve, and they don't have to testify this week. Um, I'm surprised that happened because that that wouldn't have been given to a regular citizen who was having a tough day or a regular it citizen. Be, it, wouldn't, who, it wouldn't be given to a Democrat who was having a tough day if the shoe, if all the shoes are on the other foot. There would have been Hillary did it. She did it, you know, she did it. And I'm going to go a step further. And I'm not willing, I am not willing to go ahead and, 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 not, and not question it. I am going to question it because here's the thing. How many cases are there? How many people are investigating Trump? And especially when you think about the New York investigation. <coughs> I'm not too confident that Ivana 
the near the, the recently departed Ivana Trump. I'm not too confident that she wasn't either already or soon to testify in front of a grand jury, especially in the New York case. When it comes to the financial dealings of the Trump family, who would know them very well? Ivana. And grand juries are kept secret, so you don't know who they're parading in front of it. So, and, and I mean, part of me is being facetious, part of me is being dramatic, but the reality is, is if the shoe were on the other foot, you and I both know that Ivana, if Ivana was a Democrat and she was married to a Democrat and they died in the similar circumstances, they would have said Ivana was due to testify against Trump or against whomever, and, and now she's dead. There, I am not buying within less than 24 hours that this was just accidental. It has to be fully investigated. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be honest. I'm not fully ready to go there because uh, I just I, am. I don't. <laughs> which is fine. I respect it, John. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. Uh, I just I just don't. I rather believe the best in people, although those are the worst people <laughs> in the world. So I, I give them a little bit. I give them uh, zero credit there. But I just to add fuel to your but that, fire, but though. Again, but again, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to give you more ammo to run with. I found it a little bit weird, personally, that Donald Trump broke the news. And the reason I say that is because in our world of TMZ and Kobe, we found out about Kobe before his wife did. Um, I, I, I am curious as to why he's the one who broke the story uh, as opposed to somebody else. So just to give you a little bit of logs for that fire you got brewed over there. <laughs> well, but, and, and here's the thing, is you and I both know that this is why they win. And I don't think we lose, but this is, this is the way that they're able to, the way that they would have been able to, or to, let me even be very honest, the way they would have been able to throw any form of decency out the window, mm -hmm. right? And, and you and I both know we're being very circumspect. We're being very respectful. We're, you know, we are, you know, you know, we're, we're taking it. They would not show any of that. And to the extent that we always think that they win and we lose, I don't buy into the fact that we win and they lose. But the reason why people think they win, they would be messaging the death of a ex-spouse of a high-profile Democrat the day before they're supposed to testify they'd be messaging it completely different than we would. Well, they John, would, I don't, and, I don't and, think... And, and, they, and, and they would be scoring political points by doing it. They would be scoring political points. Here's the thing. I don't think we need the hypothetical. Just this week, look what happened with Hunter Biden. And all of a sudden, their rights to privacy was thrown out the window. Their decency was thrown out the window, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You had high-profile Republican members of Congress making fun of the president's son for uh, a drug problem that he uh, is recovering from, right? So you don't need the hypothetical of somebody dying. There's Republican voters, including some elected officials, who believe that Joe Biden is some sort of lizard who's dead and he's just a puppet of some sort of alien. This is what people believe on their other side, John. I don't even think you need the hypothetical. That's giving them too much credit. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things about the hypotheticals and too much credit and what the Republicans believe was one of the stories that came to a head this past week was the whole issue of the 10 year old Ohio girl who was raped and had to go to Indiana for an abortion. Uh, the week started out with a lot of Republicans and even 
some members of the press, the Wall Street Journal, and even Lynn Kessner, who I think we shouldn't just throw under the bus because he got this one wrong, but Glenn Kessler, who is the fact checker for the Washington Post, um, they were started, you know, some were skeptical, others were outright calling it a lie. And then that, of course, betrayed itself when it turned out that the 27-year-old man who is suspected got arrested for it in Columbus. But, um, and again, to your point about, uh, you know, we don't have to even speculate, we saw. But what was your take this week on the whole, we knew, we've heard the story for a couple of weeks about the 10-year-old who had to get an abortion. But what was your take on the way that the Republicans started openly saying it's not true, and then their response once they turned out it was true? What, 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 what was your take on all of that? Honestly, I, I missed the middle part of that. And what I mean by that is I, I didn't know that they were questioning it. I, I, I didn't realize it until uh, the man was arrested and then people were calling them out for questioning it. So I kind of missed that whole, we brought it up on the show last week about the 10-year-old girl. Um, but this is what I tell people all the time. I'm going to link this back to Trump in this way. People, when there's a reason that when Trump was first inaugurated, when Sean Spicer went out there and said fake news, alternative facts, there's a reason that that stuck. And it gives Republicans an out for anything. They can quite literally say it for any single thing. And they don't have to answer for their, for them being wrong. Just before I, I saw what you tweeted and then just before we got on, um, Jim Jordan was asked about it, about because Jim Jordan was one of the biggest people who was denying the story. And he was asked about it on Fox News of, oh, well, what do you say now? And he refused to answer the question. They're, they're never going to retract. They're never going to apologize. They're never going to go back and say, hey, we were wrong. We got this wrong. They will just do whatever they can to start a culture war. Remember the Venezuelan uh, caravan that was coming full of dangerous terrorists that never happened. And they will just make up anything just to get the culture war going. So frankly, I'm just not surprised. It, it, it's just, it's not even the 10 worst thing they've done this week. So I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And this is where it gets really bad. So um, not only did um, Jim Jordan question it and he tweeted out something and he had to retract and call him a liar, but um the whole issue of the Ohio attorney general who was outrageously skeptical and he was just acting in a very irresponsible manner and what he said on Fox news. And then he had to come out the next day and say, Oh, this is horrible tragedy. Um, but they wanted to go ahead and then start, you know, blaming the medical providers and the caregivers and support staff saying they didn't report it correctly. And this is in Ohio. And then the people in Indiana started going after the doctor who provided the service. And just so you know, Ohio's going to have draconian laws. So, so um, in if unfortunately the next time this happens, a child in Ohio won't be able to go to Indiana. They'll have to come all the way here to Illinois to do that. But um, they are now investigating the doctor. They're you know they are now investigating the doctor. They're investigating all the people who were in positions to help the child. And it looks like that everybody, both in Ohio and Indiana, did the right thing. But they are more outraged about the chain of events that followed the unfortunate, ugly, traumatic experience as relates to not anybody that got it wrong, but anybody that did what they needed to do to protect this child and to do what they can 
to minimize the suffering on the child. And down to Fox News is has gone ahead and named and put up the photo, you know photos of the doctor who performed the abortion. Uh, the the Indiana Attorney General is is questioning the you know whether or not she did everything, and that's just that just shows you how evil the other party is. And I think we have to stop just looking at the Republicans as an opposition party. It's evil, and and I think the sooner we acknowledge that the party is evil and many of the people um, in the party, maybe not rank and file voters, but I, but my question is, are we allowed to, and I said this going back to Trump, if you see evil and you vote for evil, am I not allowed to call you evil? Yeah, no, you bring up a fascinating point. I have two kind of takes on this, but I, before I get into that, I wanted to ask you, do you know anything about the family of the of the girl, or are they black, white, Hispanic? Do you know any like demographic I don't know. like the, that at all? The 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 man who raped was a Hispanic male, an immigrant. Again, Jim Jordan tried to claim that this is due to Biden's border policies, but he's been in the country for seven years, so Biden wasn't who let him in the country. But um, as you and I talked about last week with crime, um, an overwhelming majority of crime is done to people usually of the same background. I don't know anything about the child's family, if she's Latino, Hispanic, but she, I think she was a family. I think he was a family member and he's Latino. So if it was a family member, then the girl would be Hispanic as well. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, so just for, just to be respectful, I won't speculate at all, but I kind of have two takes on this. There uh, was an incident in Texas where Texas uh, doctors at a hospital delayed care on a woman, which could have been life-threatening because they had to call lawyers and they had to call the government to see if they were allowed to do what they wanted to do. Cause it was, um, I, I believe was some sort of, uh, the lady was pregnant or the situation was in that realm and they had to delay care life, life, uh, saving care because they didn't know how legal it was or what they had the power to do. So this is going to kill people just because some people might not know what they're capable of doing. Uh, the other thing about this is, uh, I won't speculate on what she was, but I'll just use it as an example. There will be people who vote for Republicans who might have to travel to take their daughter to Illinois or to wherever to get an abortion. That's going to be a situation and they will still vote for Republicans who continue to take their kids' rights away, and yet they're going across state to get rights that they don't have in their own state. So this is on them. I, I don't know how to deal with the hypocrisy of the fact that Republicans get abortions too, and they continue to vote for Republicans. I don't know how to deal with that kind of hypocrisy. Though. So that's what I was kind of thinking of this week as far as when when you're dealing with crossing state lines to to get services that you can't find in your own state. Yeah, it's it, it it's you know I I was watching a clip, you know, we live in Illinois and they were talking about how Planned Parenthood in Illinois and Planned Parenthood in Wisconsin are trying to even coordinate, right? Where um depending on how the laws are set up, the person can start treatment or care in Wisconsin come to Illinois for the abortion and then go back to Wisconsin and have follow-up care. I don't know how that fits legally. One of the things that was fascinating and it shows you, and it's infuriating, I'm not sure if you saw that clip of Eric Swalwell talking to that one person from some right to life or accidentally 
where they were talking about a 10-year-old pregnancy. And because Republicans now realize and the right to lifers realize that they're on the wrong side of cruelty, um, they're trying to, this one woman, as I recall, said, well, would you, you know, when you end that pregnancy, uh, you know, is that, would that be acceptable? And this person landed at, well, what would happen is because it's a 10 year old and maybe the life, the life of the mothers in jeopardy that wouldn't. And if so, if they were to end their pregnancy, that would not be considered abortion because they realized that they have now created laws and created situations where you're going to force 10 year old rape victims to have abortions. And they're trying to find a way to call abortions that are abortions, not abortions, just strictly because they don't want to be on the wrong side of cruelty. Yeah. So yeah, I, I remember that clip is very, very viral this week. Um, I think you're right. I think they're trying to change the definition. I think there was a big push of Republicans to think that all abortions are just these women who had sex and regret having sex. And, and that's not the case, right? Abortion is just a medical thing that happens in the medical field. The term abortion is just, uh, I could be totally wrong here. It's just this idea of having to end the pregnancy for whatever reason. Right. So like, um, so I think you're right. I think they're trying to change the definition because there's women who just need abortion for life-saving care for whatever reason that they realize need to get abortions at some point. Right. The other thing is interesting is it reminds me of um, Viagra. So I don't know if you know this, John, but when there was, when they overturned Roe, there was a big push for people to say, well, all right, so let's ban Viagra then if it's not God's will, et cetera, et cetera. Did you know the reason that they can't do that with Viagra is because Viagra is technically uh, classified as blood pressure medicine. So it, it's not it's not marketed as a sexual thing at all. It's marketed as blood pressure medicine, which obviously is targeted uh, for a specific reason. And white men who most likely use uh, Viagra are the ones who made it so, so they know that the government can never touch it. So that's what is reminding me about this abortion conversation, this idea of rebranding and trying to make it and spin the narrative to get what they want uh, on both sides. So it's interesting dynamic. It's, um, it's, it is interesting and it, it speaks to, if you've ever heard the phrase, um, it's like when a dog finally catches the car, right? Or catches the car bumper. I think that's what the Republicans are dealing with. But, you know, this goes back to one of the things we've talked about and we've been harping on. People have to vote. You know, I think we're past that point now. I know that we still have a few primaries and there may need to be some level of Democratic infighting, but I don't care. I don't care if you're the farthest left Democrat or you're an outrageously conservative Democrat. We just need to make sure that Nancy Pelosi or her successor is is the Speaker of the House come January, and and Chuck Schumer is still the 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 the, the majority leader. And you know, one of the things I thought about, you know, how first of all, do you think? Although this happens every cycle, but do you think a lot of the talk, and I'm talking about the motivations, especially the press and some of the people on the left, do you think a lot of the talk about 24? 
is meant to distract us from 22. I I think whether it's meant to be that way, I think it has the fun. I think that's what it functionally does, right? If we're arguing about 24 and what and whether Biden should run again, and if not, who should be the you know standard bearer for the party? I think that takes away and hurts us because we need to be focusing on electing people. Um, do you think Do you think that it serves as a distraction when we talk about 24 now, right now, or not? The traction of should Biden run or not? To answer your question, when I see the traction that that story has gotten, I ha- I can't help to think, but it's been manufactured. And so, so yes, to answer your question simply, yes, I, I do think some of it's a distraction. Uh, uh, some of it's just foul play, to be honest, because I don't know where any of that stuff's really coming from. So I'm going to give you something here. Now, I think there's increased optimism because of how messed up the world is and how crazy Republicans are that the Democrats may hold on to both the House and the Senate, right? There's, you know, I don't think anyone's saying, oh, that's definitely going to happen. I'm just saying that there's uh, renewed optimism that may happen. Fadi, think about this. And this might be part of the reason why we're having this discussion about Biden right now. If Biden, if the Democrats retain the House and the Senate, what will they be saying about Biden? Especially because if the Democrats retain the House and the Senate, and and with the Senate they add a few more votes and can overcome Manchin and Cinema and get some shit done these last two years, don't you think that maybe Biden should run again? Because don't you think his also his popularity would be there? Because remember, in many ways, people think that um, when the part part of the reason why the party in power that has the majority in the House or Senate and also has the White House, part of the reason that they feel that they lose is it's kind of a, a reflection or a, you know, the, the, that, that president's on the ballot, even though they're not on the ballot. Don't you think that if the Democrats hold on and maybe expand in both uh, uh, chambers, don't you think all of a sudden Biden's ratings start going up? One, because he's going to be walking around like, oh, I thought I was a problem. But then two, if, if they do it and he's able to push through a couple of these things that have been stifled, that, I mean, so that goes to my, maybe they are, maybe there is some ulterior motives as to why they want to have this discussion. They want to ruin Biden and depress Dems because if Dems have a successful November, then doesn't Biden look a lot much better going into 24? Well, yeah, certainly. You would have to think that he would look a lot better going into 2024. Um, I don't, I don't share the optimism in the house, but I will say this. I've grown my optimism in the Senate. Um, Fetterman looks great. Mark Kelly looks great. Uh, Warnock looks great. Um, look, and I don't mean to bring it back local, but I think, I, I, some, I think Tim, I think Tim, I think Ryan wins. In, I think in, Tim, in Ryan, Tim Ryan looks great. Tim Ryan looks great. And whoever um, comes out of all, whoever, whoever wins the Wisconsin primary for Senate, because Johnson's got to be damaged goods. I can't see Johnson holding on anymore. Uh, who knows? Wisconsin is a tricky place. Also, I think in Nevada, uh, the Democrat uh, candidate Masto. there raised the most money. Yeah, raised the most money I think in Nevada history. So I, I'm feeling optimistic in that way. Um, now, now as far as your point about Biden, I I, I think. I don't know how to t- I don't know how to say this because I don't want to criticize and I don't have nothing to criticize him over for, but do we need a younger candidate 
Well, maybe, but that, that's not what our cards are right now. Our cards are Biden's the president. He's polling still ahead of Trump as it stands. And I would actually guess that Trump would poll ahead DeSantis. I don't think DeSantis is going to be nationally as popular as Trump is. That's just my gut feeling, right? So if he's polling ahead of Trump now, he just destroyed Trump in the 2020 election. Um, we have to kind of get through this pocket of distractions and just continue to show out. It's just going to matter if we show out, John. It, it doesn't matter anything else. If we don't show out, then it's not going to matter. But I'm feeling the optimistic only, in the Senate more so than the House. The only people, in my opinion, there's only two people, in my opinion, who can tell me that Joe Biden's too old. It's Joe Biden and Jill Biden. If Joe Biden and if Joe Biden doesn't feel like he's up to it, and Jill doesn't think he wants she wants to see her husband go through it again, I will buy it. But he deserves a second term. If he 100%, personally, 100%. if if he personally at some point in time makes the calculation that it's time to hang it up, I support that. But I do not want him forced off the field. I do not want him taken off the playing field till he takes himself off the playing field. That's and that's, just that's to be fair, Trump is. Trump is 76. It's not like it's not like the Republicans are putting up a 25-year-old either, right? So Trump is 76, and he's old, and Biden is riding a bike and climbing upstairs and, and doing everything, and Trump never was able to do that. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm not worried about Biden's age. I'm more so worried about um, um, 2022. I'm not really worried about the 2024 race yet. Donald Trump is going to be felled by a heart attack. Joe Biden, when he ultimately at 120 years old, when he ultimately passes away, is going to be because he rode his bike off of a cliff. I mean, it, it literally, what I'm saying <laughs> is you actually have a very act, and I said 120 years old, so I'm giving another 40 years there. Um, but what I'm saying is whenever we do lose Biden, Biden's going to go out living life. You know, he's going to go, he's going to, you know, whereas as Donald Trump is just going to have one too many uh, stakes with stakes with cheese or, or, or ketchup, I mean, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, that he gagged on or something. So on that note, we're coming close to an hour. So for now, this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs>